Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Uh, I'm excited today. I have Jacoby Ballard as my guest. Hi, Jacoby. Hey, Jeevana. Hi. Thanks for being here. Uh, let me introduce you. Um, Jacoby is a social justice educator and yoga teacher in Salt Lake City, Utah, known for his playfulness, heart opening, and commitment to change from the inside out. As a yoga teacher with 20 years of experience, he leads workshops, retreats, teacher trainings, teaches at conferences, and runs the residence mentorship program for certified yoga teachers to find their niche and calling. In 2008, Jacoby co-founded Third Root Community Health Center in Brooklyn, to work at the nexus of healing and social justice. And since 2006, Jacoby has taught queer and trans yoga, a space for queer folks to unfurl and cultivate resilience. Jacoby received Yoga Journal's Game Changer Award in 2014 and Good Karma Award in 2016. <laughs> Jacoby has taught in schools, hospitals, nonprofit and business offices, a maximum security prison, a recovery center, a cancer center, LGBT centers, gyms, a veteran center and yoga studios. He leads workshops and trainings around the country on diversity, equity, inclusion, and consults on DEI for yoga and meditation organizations. He's the author of A Queer Dharma, Yoga and Meditations for Liberation, which was just released. And that's what we're going to talk about today mostly, right? Yeah. How's that? How do you like your bio being read to you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's humbling and also like, yeah, it's been a lot of years of, of, of doing this. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. You've done a lot of amazing, diverse teaching, it sounds like. I love that part of your bio, you know, the places you've shared yoga. I feel like that's so important, you know, as, um, well, maybe not just yoga. I mean, probably meditation as well. Um, but I, I find that that's where my learning really happened, you know, was in those challenging environments where I had to adapt to the moment. Totally. You know, yeah. Did I miss anything on there? um i don't know those are like the 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 big points i've been working with the yoga service council for a long time and off the mat into the Mm -hmm. world for a while and consulted with with alongside you with yoga alliance and lululemon and yoga journal and um, some other dharma spaces as well um that feels uh, kind of like a newer aspect of my work in the last like five years to do that consulting work, um, kind of transitioning from like banging my head against the the walls of the yoga industry to like helping it become something different. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, that's really interesting. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, actually. Yeah. Great. <laughs> but actually, the other thing I was going to mention is uh, you're also a parent, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so we have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit of an age difference between our kids. Yes, my kids are older. My kids are 20 and 16 these days, which, yeah, is something else. <laughs> um, and your kid is younger, right? Like a couple of years old? Yeah, Gigi is almost three. Three? Oh, wow. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. I love that age. I really think 
they call it what terrible twos and that i find that so annoying because it was like the best age hmm. you know it's a, there's so much it's such an exciting moment you know to like really explore the world and um become who you are it's just i found it really great yeah self-determination yeah. and the lack of awareness of like how you should be yeah that's exciting yeah um well, mostly I want to talk to you about your book, and it's been out for a couple of weeks, so how's that feel now, having it out in the world? It's been fun to, to just hear from people about what's landing for them. Um, I was just talking to our colleague, Sarah King, and she was saying how moving mm. it was that a lot of my reference points are Black feminists, and how mm. that kind of welcomed her into the text as a, as a Black woman. Um, oh, and then I've been hearing, you know, just from like people that I didn't know like a queer man in Toronto or the parent of a trans kid off the coast of Maine and wow. lovely. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is lovely. And in a way that's the point, right? Like right. to find another Avenue yep. to get the teachings out. Yep. Is that it? Or could you say, was there another reason behind writing the book? Like, did you have a mission it shifted over the years. I, I was engaged in the writing process for about eight years and it yeah. began as um, a statement, a response to mainstream yoga world in New York that was like, isn't queer and trans yoga, isn't that exclusive? Aren't you separating community? Why are you being divisive? Um, can't we all practice together in one space? Um, so it started as a response to that. And then, yeah. um, I was teaching queer and trans yoga along those, those eight years and came to, you know, witness my students and what they were bringing into the space and the unique way that we held the class as queer people and um, the politics that were inevitably invited into the, into the room because of just the label of queer as like a political identity. So then, you know, we could talk about abolition. We could talk about homelessness in the space. We could talk about, um, mm. white supremacy, whatever, like it, 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 of all yoga spaces, it was like atypical, mm. uh, to be able to talk about dynamics of power because queer people often do. Right. And it was a queer space. Yeah. Um, whereas like my other classes, like I had to be like a little bit more strategic <laughs> in talking about mm -hmm. some of those topics. Um, wow. so then it, I, um, Part of what's really moved me that I, you know, write the first half of the book on is the heart teachings um, called the Brahma Viharas in Buddhism. And then they're also all listed in the, the Yoga Sutras of, of Patanjali, um, mm. loving kindness, compassion, uh, joy and equanimity. Um, that's been, you know, really important for my personal practice. It's been a lot of what I've taught in the last 10 years when I teach mm -hmm. philosophy Um and when I theme my asana classes, those, it's uh, often themed around different philosophical lists. And then the second half of the book was just um, like how, you know, a critique of how things are, the chapter of cultural appropriation, chapter of capitalism, mm -hmm. just like that encompasses like my frustrations with the yoga industry. And then I had to write about, it. I've learned since starting the community health center that I did in Brooklyn, um, that mm -hmm. uh, lifting something up and building something new is much more difficult than critiquing, right? And so I, I wanted to use a few examples of like of the Holistic Life Foundation and 12, Yoga for 12-Step Recovery and the East Bay Meditation Center as like yeah. 
these are these organizations are doing work at the intersections mm-hmm. of, of social justice and, and embodied and contemplative practice. So, you know, there's models out there that mainstream yoga can follow. It's not, we don't have to reinvent the, the wheel here. Right. I have a strange question, maybe as a writer, and that is, um, how did you decide on the voice of the book? Like, what is the... Do you know what I mean? Like the, like what pronoun you use and how you like, is it in first person? Like I blank or, mm-hmm. cause I noticed that <clears throat> you, you mostly talk in the first person and then sometimes you shift to the third person, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's almost all your story. And I just wondered if you had thought about it consciously or if you were challenged with that. I, I feel like I'm teaching, like I'm, I was writing in the way that I teach and sharing, you know, how the teachings have impacted me and sharing that with my students as a, a potential doorway in for them. Um, and I guess I was like thinking of some of the books that have influenced me the most by like Radical yeah. Acceptance by Tara Brock or Loving Kindness by Sharon yeah. Salzberg and kind of seeing it my book similarly and like really discussing the teachings but also through my unique lived experience and and including my stories including stories of some of my students in that um and even including the the bodies through the the drawings of the asana practices at the at the end of my students Mm -hmm. yeah well just because it's something i struggle with a lot you know i think that i as a teacher i sometimes you know, I'm seen as the authority when I'm speaking in a class and I noticed how that same thing happens in writing a book and that, but it's different. And so I would kind of just try to be conscious of, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be conscious of the way I speak. If it's always my experience or if I'm speaking general, if I'm generalizing, Uh especially around spiritual things. Totally. I mean, I think something that that I, well, something that I say whenever I teach and then I feel like it's important to lead with humility and that like yeah. teachers that don't lead with humility are leading with ego. Right. And that gets us in a lot of trouble. We've seen that in every spiritual lineage, as you wrote about yourself in your own book. Um, right. So I tried to, you know, offer up to my students anytime, like say I'm teaching on compassion, like this is, it's said that hurt people, hurt people try that on for yourself. Does that resonate with your own experience? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what's been done by like thousands or millions of practitioners before you. And it might not resonate for you. It might not be true for you. You're invited to to try the teachings on for yourself. It doesn't have to be like the truth with a capital T. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's no, I I, I mean, I love what you did. I feel like you, you really stayed true to your personal voice and didn't, I mean, what you do is you, you, it's almost like, um, I mean, I think you found the perfect balance because you, you share it from your first person perspective and then you shift to we, when you kind of try to generalize the concept, but then you quickly come back, you know, and I think that's a great balance. It's like, like you said, it's like, here's, here's my experience. Here's what I think. And then this is what we're doing. This is what I see us doing. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like you kind of just you you just go out there a little bit and then you kind of come back and say you know back to me which i know i think is a really um i i know maybe i'm making a big deal out of this but i think that if you look at some of the more kind of guru teachers and the way that some of these practices have been shared it's always 
in the third person is always generalized. And I think it's a power play a bit. Yeah. Like you said, it's coming from ego. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And then just the way that you shared your story and then how you kind of went between teachings and also personal examples and even, even like, um, cultural references. I think there's a lot of that in there. Yeah. Um, I wondered you, if you could talk about, um, you said it earlier, like you were, it started, the book started as kind of a, I don't know, like an explanation of the importance of queer spaces in yoga and spirituality. Right. Yeah. And I wondered if you could say more about that. It's as you said, it's a place where you would explore different, um, kind of radical ideas, but I wonder about the way that the spaces are held too. I kind of thought you had something else to say about that. Like not just the content, but actually the Mm -hmm. context, like what is it in holding a queer space that feels different? Uh, I mean, I think having some common ground of like what we're dealing with in, in our life, we know, for example, in a clear queer classroom, that if someone is pregnant or someone is bringing a baby into their life, that that's, not even yeah. easily come by and certainly not by yeah. accident, right? Like that yes. doesn't need to be said. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, someone could like vent in their share at the beginning of class about having been harassed um, on the street or on the, the subway in the way on their way into class. And it's kind of understood that, that that's about their sexuality or about their gender presentation. Um, and there's, um, kind of a familiarity of holding that suffering because that's what we yeah. hold for one another and in our own selves every day. Um, I think also just like different um, reference points. Like I try to uh, read from poetry that's written by by queer folks. I try to play when I play music in my classes. I try to play the music of of queer mm. folks. Just. Um, which is not often the case in a, like a mainstream class, right? Unless it's like, yeah. you know, explicitly efforted towards it's, it's, um, you know, even when there's like Mary Oliver gets shared, for example, all the time, but we're very rarely is she recognized as a lesbian poet, right? Mm. Or Ramdas, very rarely. I mean, he wasn't even right. that out about his own sexuality. And so those yeah. sharing the teachings of Ramdas are certainly not going to identify him as a gay man, but he uh, was. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I I feel like you kind of that the, the structure of the book also kind of feels that way to me because I think I really like the kind of the beginning of the book. It feels like you enter in by kind of like touching on the big issues that I think most queer people struggle with. Like <laughs> kind of like um, well, you have it's acceptance and letting go, anger, compassion, forgiveness. I feel like it's kind of like it, to me it felt like. Um, the struggles that I went through in deal in like thinking about and embracing any spiritual path at all is like, how will this, ref- how will this serve me and my personal experience and um, struggles being queer and being different and like not being part of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, like anger in particular kind of struck me in that way, mm. you know? Yeah, I think it's so rarely spoken about or written about in spiritual spaces, which means those of us who are angry at the systems of injustice that affect our lives every day, we're not fully welcome there. 
Yeah. It's just one of the implicit ways that um, we can be welcome and seen or, or have to leave part of ourselves at the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it seems like, I mean, most spiritual practices I've studied have made it seem like anger is negative or bad and that it's actually, yeah, like the, it's because of ego. You know what I mean? It's, it's based on ego or defensiveness or something, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. This is a spiritually adept person that's having this anger. Yeah, but that's not what you say. Can you share how you feel about it? <laughs> I think there's wisdom in anger, right? Like anger tells mm-hmm. us that something is wrong. And underneath anger is a broken heart and fatigue and fear. And that's often because something that we love, something that's precious to us is being threatened or destroyed or harmed. Um, so there's the ferocity of anger comes out to like stop the harm right now. So like in that way, I see that it, anger is like a manifestation of compassion. Um, and if we, hmm. if we squash anger, um, as one of my students shared, then it's going to come out the side of our neck. Like it's going to, that energy is going to come out no matter what. <laughs> maybe it comes out in our emails. Maybe it comes out in our mm. relationships with colleagues. Uh, maybe it comes out with, through our driving, right? But it's going to, mm. that, that energy needs to move and be released. And so if we can work with it really purposefully and directly to have ongoing practices of discharge especially for those of us that are you know heartbroken by the world every day um Mm -hmm. then that allows in space for the for for compassion or equanimity or the you know being with things as they are which is like more the way that we're expected to show up in spiritual spaces and you talk about discharging anger's energy can you say more about that yeah, I mean, there's most most cultures have various ways to do that, and I and I find that a lot of people come into asana practice actually as a discharge practice. Like they they mm-hmm. people that go towards the like really vigorous practices, especially like they're needing to move energy. They don't always have a sense of that, a conscious sense of it themselves, but that's um, otherwise it's going to get stuck in their body, or they're going to be tight, or they're going to be you know speak harshly with their loved ones. Um, so I see in most spiritual traditions, whether it's twirling or stomping or drumming or, um, you know, martial arts, it's like it's a movement of that energy so that mm. we can find stillness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I remember, uh, I don't know where it was, you, you talk, you tell a story of um, how you were in a workshop with Sean Korn, I think, and I think it wasn't anger, but it was like, you were just overwhelmed by holding the pain of the world. And she was like, that's not sustainable. And she told you to go yell or something. Is that right? Yes, totally. She assigned me to go up to my, the roof of my apartment in Brooklyn and scream every day as a practice. Uh (laughs) Amazing. And did you do it? I didn't do it every day, but I did it many days and I still do it. You know, like even like this morning, my, my kid was skipped screaming and kicking getting into his car seat and like my partner was there and I just need to step away for a minute and I just cross the street and 
went to scream and then I kept came <laughs> back, <laughs> you know, so that I don't get it like all over him. I don't scare him with my anger. Um, yeah. but I need, I recognized that I needed to release something. That's awesome. I mean, that's a great example of practice because it seems like so often we don't have the self-awareness to step away and then it just comes out on the people around us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I got frustrated with my son last night and I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, was that the most skillful way? I mean, it's different with an adult. I mean, he's an adult now, uh-huh. <laughs> so I don't have to protect him uh, the way I do with a small child, but you know, I still always want to be skillful in the way I interact with people. And I think, um, sometimes I need to use anger with him to get his attention actually I find, but mm. it has to be, um, it's, there has to be a self-awareness around it. Yeah. Um, otherwise it seems like it's abuse if you're totally. just taking anger out on other people. Yeah. Totally. Which is again, why we need to have discharge practices to work with it really intentionally. If I know that I'm going mm. to the batting cages later or, mm. um, I went for a run this morning after I dropped him off at daycare to like to move that energy through me so that then I could get on with my day and not harbor resentment of like, Oh my God, I can't believe he was like this this morning. But like that to transition for myself, for my own well being as well as for his protection. Mm. Hey everyone. We'll be right back to the podcast after this. Thank you for one of our supporting organizations, three and a half acres yoga. Three and a Half Acres Yoga is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to broaden access to yoga, breathing, and mindfulness techniques focusing on communities who have experienced trauma. Their classes and yoga teacher training supports individuals and teachers alike in recognizing their power for positive change. Three and a Half Acres Yoga believes every yoga teacher needs training in trauma sensitivity and that everyone deserves access to a yoga experience free of harm, regardless of age, race, gender, sexual orientation, ability, or class. Trauma survivors are in every room and their needs and reactions are different from other students. It's of the utmost importance that we give yoga teachers the tools they need to avoid harm and re-triggering as vulnerable practitioners enter their space. If this speaks to you, please go to threeandahalfacres.org to explore their trauma-informed yoga teacher trainings. You can also make a donation to support the organization. And how is it? How do you feel about um, being a parent? How, how has that changed your perception of these practices? It's changed my idea of when I'm practicing and what composes practice. Mm. Um, one of my mentees and Susanna's training just did a whole project about this because she also has a three or four year old. So it's mm-hmm. kind of on my mind, of, you know, the moments when I, and, and with him say at a playground and take a breath, that's a moment of practice or um, the moments where I'm like gently leading him down the street when he like, you know, mm-hmm. wants to look at every dead worm on the sidewalk <laughs> and uh-huh. we just like, we have an agenda <laughs> for the day. We need to <laughs> get out the door and have breakfast. Um, you know, that patience that I can employ or the t- t- determination that I can employ is a moment of practice. Um, Mm-hmm. And I, awesome. I don't get as much like time on my mat, but you know, you and I are both really involved with decentering asana. So 
that's not the mm-hmm. whole of my practice anyway. Um, yeah. But I, I did have some grief about that at the, at the beginning of parenthood. It's just, there's yeah. no time to <laughs> be on the mat. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, um, I still do my practice in the afternoons because of that. Like <laughs> par- parenthood, you know, changed my life so much. Um, I was a stay at home parent and I, you know, I used to try to practice in the morning and it was just too hard. Like there was too much, the kids are up and it was just chaos. Um, yeah. And so I find a time either like during naps or at when they were in school or in after school activities, that was just much yeah. quieter. And there was totally. like a pause. And that's still what I do today. Like I find the afternoon is just my time. Like I go, you know, I take a few hours every afternoon and do my, do my thing. Oh, that's great. Um, but I feel like that's, surprising to people they're like well don't you practice first thing in the morning and it's just like i yeah like they, they showed me i had to find a new way i had to find another way <laughs> totally. you know like stealing moments back i mean especially uh-huh. when they're little oh my yeah. gosh it's very quiet there now so you must you, you... <laughs> he's at daycare <laughs> okay <laughs> that's good um let's can we talk about um the intersection between um, these teachings and social justice, because I feel like there's still some questions out there. I think about it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'll just say personally that sometimes I think maybe we overstate it when we say like yoga is social justice rather than explain like social justice is a practice of yoga or something Uh like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I I think that's part of why the heart teachings really moved me is because they are readily applicable to social justice work. Um, Mm. Loving kindness, like so much social justice comes out of the love of our own communities or, or, or love with, of a group of people that we're in solidarity with. Um, Compassion comes out of, you know, I, I see most activism as a practice of compassion of a recognition that, uh, there's unnecessary suffering here and this could be changed to, mm-hmm. to reduce or eliminate suffering. I think of some forms of activism um, as so joyful, right? Like that, like protest in the street can be a dance party or a boycott mm. could be um, a visual or, uh, you know, or a ceremony. I think, you know, Standing Rock really powerfully demonstrated that. Um, the intersections of, of prayer and, and social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, equanimity, I think, is so important for, for social justice folks to learn because there can be this urgency um, yeah. and uh, that takes a toll on our personal lives, on our relationships, on our children, on our um, you know, the, the well-being of our, our, of our households. Um, I don't, you know, I think some of some older activists that that have been in the work for several decades have had to come to equanimity in order to sustain their social mm-hmm. justice work, because mm-hmm. if you continue to work from from power, from urgency and uh, kind of attachment to things shifting on one's own timeline, then we're going to burn out. Like something's going to break. Um, yeah. We we're not in control of how fast social change is going to happen. <laughs> Right. I mean, you, you say in the book, you talk about um, one quality of, bo- of a bodhisattva is to be easily contented. Um, you're talking about in the context of what does that mean in the context of a movement? I'm just very curious about that. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. I mean, 
Yeah. Sustainability, I think, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. And the culture, like, can we, can we take a success to be in how we are with each other at any given moment within the movement? Can it, can we take a success to mean like the moment that a polished politician shifts their speech or mm. a bill that they're backing? Um, of course we're like, we have political campaigns that, that are much larger than that and demanding much greater change than that, that are important. Um, but, uh, if we're so focused on what's fucked up, then we're gonna, we're gonna see that more and more in the world. And then, and mm. that's just a lot to hold, but if we can celebrate the, the moments and, um, you know, of like, oh, wow, all of my comrades here are feminists. That is so beautiful. Or mm-hmm. um, look at all of these white folks with shirts on marching for, for black lives. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Like just the, like small mm-hmm. victories that can enable mm-hmm. us actually to keep going and make it more sustainable. Right. I, I agree. I, do, I, I think there's a burnout that happens, even just conscious uh, I mean, unconsciously and some sometimes like through the news, it's almost like we're just being overwhelmed with the pain. And so we don't do anything. Right. We feel like we're powerless and then nothing happens. Right. So I feel like I think that's what I that's what I see here that you're trying to share with is like find equanimity so that you can actually do something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and there, like, there could be an idea that if we don't, you know, put a new mayor in the office, then we failed, mm. or you know, that so then we don't even try because that seems too enormous to to even attempt. Um, but so maybe we can incorporate like smaller goals along the way. And I know that a lot of really strategic organizers, and I see that in Alicia Garza and and um, mm. Patrice Cullors, to like mm-hmm. mark the very small shifts. And celebrate those. Um. Mm-hmm. Right. You have a quote, you say, uh, Shunru Suzuki Yoshi, Roshi said, looking out on a crowd of thousands of students, each of you is perfect the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. <laughs> I love that idea. It's like somehow we have to feel like it's okay, and yet also see that it needs to change. Like yep. there's, it, it's... A balance, it seems to me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I mean, I, I, I guess part of my question is around um, maybe the internal work. Like so often I think yeah. spiritual practices are, are offered as internal practices only. Uh-huh. And I'm curious about that, about the external part of them. Like how do you, how would you say that, the internal spiritual practices um, are connected to our action. Mm. A few years ago when I was presenting at a college on yoga and social justice, um, I asked a few Facebook friends, like, what does, what does your practice have to do with social justice and how Theo Drake responded still rings um, in, in my heart. He said, you know, uh, my practice compels me to act because of who and what I love and the love that I'm cultivating in my practice. And um, what I encounter in the world propels me to practice because I need more stability and I need more um, 
I need to be as resourced as possible to show up for the enormity of challenges in our, in our mm. world. Mm, that's beautiful. I think that's so clear. It's like love is the source of the action. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to get at in my book too. It's like, cause I, I'm, I'm, I ask you because I really struggle with and, and, and struggle with describing this as well. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of confusion out there about it. Um, but that's a beautiful answer. It reminds me of something else. So actually towards the end of the book, you talk about, um, well, maybe I can, can I read a quote to you? Sure. Um, you say it's on 195. You say, I both cherish and disdain yoga and Dharma. I, I feel both honored and ashamed when I share that I'm a yoga teacher at a social gathering. As long as yoga is present in the United States and practiced around the world, there's much work to do to honor its roots and manifest its true potential for justice. I love the teachings. And as you can see, they have guided my life. They are a deep guidance toward justice in our world. I think maybe that's the answer I was looking for, but do do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think it's a, a recognition of, of how yoga Dharma spaces can reproduce white supremacy and capitalism and misogyny and all those systems of oppression. Um, that's why I feel, um, I, I, at a social gathering, I try to like really contextualize my work and often mm. say, I like, I do yoga and social justice to like separate myself from like <laughs> what they imagine yoga to mean. Um, yeah. and then I also know that media has played a role in, mm. uh, depicting yoga practice as being purely physical and depicting Dharma practice as being navel gazing and selfish and self-indulgent, which uh, is a huge misunderstanding of, of both practices. Um, So I think I'm bringing a understanding of that misrepresentation into those spaces. And then also, um, a deeper understanding of of the teachings and really knowing deeply how important they are. And not just because they're present in yoga and dharma, but also, you know, elements uh, are, are present in in every religion. Um, there's there's practices for, of forgiveness and compassion and coming from love. And um, so I think that kind of overlap mm. of so many practices is important to mm. like know that like uh people in south asia came to this like wisdom of forgiveness just like they did in the land now understand now understood as poland just like they did in the land now understood as arizona like mm. um that that overlap of, of of practice in different cultures i think is important it just tells me that like this is a wise human practice that you know we can we can dress it up we can say that this is part of Buddhism or this is part of Christianity or this is part of Islam, but it's, it's also just wisdom that moves through that avenue Mm. and that culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea that both the, both the traditions and social justice are misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You just said that one is internal and one is external and actually it's not really true. Um, it both are both, you know, they're both internal and external practices, it seems. And then yeah. that connection. Yeah, that was a beautiful explanation. I wonder um, if you could talk about, like, do you have a vision for what happens with the book now that it's in the world? Like, do you, mm. do you have a hope for it? Like what it will be 
be used for or help to cultivate in the world? I hope that it's used in yoga teacher trainings. I hope that it's used alongside your book and Michelle Cassandra mm. Johnson's book and Susanna Barkataki's book and mm. Gail Parker's book. Uh, I feel like mm. that, like we have in the last couple of years, a whole new wave of books have been published that could totally replace what has been <laughs> used before. <laughs> That's because it centers different kinds of life of lived experience that uh, has never been centered in yoga spaces and certainly our world more broadly. So it feels like part of um, creating social justice within our spaces and within our teacher trainings is shifting like, who are the wisdom holders? Is mm. it just like straight white men? No. Mm -hmm. Who can we learn from? Um, right. And then a student told me earlier today that her, her straight son is involved in the GSA at his very traditional high school and uh, got a couple of copies of my book to bring to his GSA and that like oh. things like that just like land so tenderly like <laughs> yes I want these like these high schoolers whether they're queer or whether they're trying to be in alliance with their queer friends like I, I that's so dreamy that my text could support them mm, that is so beautiful wow that's amazing congratulations for that <laughs> Thank you. it's worth all that uh, just just for that one message maybe yeah um, i don't know though it's a lot of work isn't it so um yeah i just wonder if you have thoughts about that i i, I think i've asked you before but are you working on another book is that in is that going to happen it probably will happen it's i'm just trying to be with this one <laughs> coming out at the, <laughs> at the moment but i feel like there's a lot more to say about forgiveness and accountability um, right, and I also right. have started teaching uh, prenatal yoga and, and doing trainings on uh, LGBT inclusion in, in the birth world, which overlaps mm. with reproductive justice in general. Uh, yeah. And I feel like there's there's more to say about that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that part for sure. I mean, even just as an adoptive parent. Um, as a queer adoptive parent, I mean, it's so gendered, like the whole parenting, um, especially with a young child, I felt just yeah. was almost like one of the most painful parts of my life outside of like when I came out as a teenager, like I, it was like constantly having to come out again, constantly yeah. having to educate people um, yeah. that I could, you know, be parenting at sure. the primary caregiver of a child as as a queer person, as a man, like it was just like, I was challenged all the time. Um, which I mean, I, I'm not, I, it sounds like I'm exaggerating it, but it's really not. It was, no, I it was hard to find those. It's hard to find community. It's hard to find support. Um, yeah. so I hope you will. I hope you'll write that. Mm. I hope you'll write that book. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and for writing this book. I wonder if you have any other thoughts you want to share. Um, well, the other mm. thing that is that I, I hope that it's useful for social movements. I, I really want our social justice movements mm. to be sustainable. And I've seen so many powerful organizers and visionaries burn out. And mm. I have worked within social justice movement organizations for a long time. Um, and I hope that the book can further accentuate that and, and reach people that maybe I can't go work with directly. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's incredible. I think the way a book can kind of transport you to a lot of places, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like 
you can be a part of a lot of conversations and a lot of learning that you don't even know about, you know, that's going to happen now um, without you physically present. And um, it's a beautiful gift. I think that you've given the world, you know, through sharing so personally and um, so deeply about your experience. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being here. All right. Take care. Thank you, Jivana. It was a great conversation. Yeah. All right. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.